0: everyone, welcome to episode 136 of The Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And Emily's going to start us off today with a poem. Yes. This poem came to me through the poet Kate Baer, who has a new poetry collection coming out called I Hope This Finds You Well on November 9th. She also has an existing poetry collection called What Kind of Woman?, But this is a a poet, Maggie Smith, that I guess a lot of people know of. She's from Bexley, Ohio, which is where my sister lives. So that's interesting. I had never heard of her nor this poem. And Maggie Smith has a book, Goldenrod, that just came out that I have on request at the library. So this poem is called Good Bones. Good Bones. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short... And I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. <laughs> the world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. Wow, that's a great poem. Yeah, I saw this on the socials, as they say, and I was like, I've got to hunt this it down so that was good bones by maggie smith thank you so much for sharing that with us sure speaking of thank yous we have a big thank you to our listener joyce yes thank you joyce so much for your donation yeah it was in her granddaughter isabel's name you know there's a whole world now of these pandemic babies which i hadn't really heard about because my babies are grown-ups And um, I don't spend much time with little children, but babies that were born, you know, during the pandemic, and they've been at home and Joyce's granddaughter got her first opportunity to go to the library. And Joyce sent a little video to us of her dancing in the stacks and then um, decided she would make a donation to the book Cougars in her granddaughter's honor. So, so wonderful. Thank you so much, Joyce, and especially for sending that little video
1: clip that was adorable.
0: Yeah, we we do a lot of dancing in the stacks of libraries ourselves when <laughs> we find 13. a book we're excited about. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of a book we're excited
1: about, we want to remind everyone about our next read-along. And that title, again, is The Doctors Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Women Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. And this is by Janice P.
0: Nimura. Yeah, we're so excited about this book. Reminder that we have a Zoom read-along on Sunday, September 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. There are still spots open for that. And we're going to have the honor of discussing the book with the author as well on episode 139 in September. Awesome. I'm so looking forward to that. And for those
1: of you who haven't participated in one of our Zoom discussions, it truly is a discussion. You know, we might get things started with some questions and ask questions here and there, but we really you know, love everyone just jumping in and and talking about their thoughts on the book. So don't be shy. And also if you are shy and you want to come and you don't feel like you know participating directly in that way, it's not like we're gonna call you out. Right. And say, Come on, Janice, say something. (laughs) So so don't worry about that. Because I know sometimes You don't always necessarily have things you want to say, but you'd want to hear what other people are thinking.
0: Yeah. And even truthfully, if you're kind of not enjoying the book, sometimes you join a discussion like this and it changes your perspective on things and you end up enjoying it or just see something in the book you hadn't seen when you read it. So come join us. We're a friendly bunch. Yeah, totally. We are. I think we are. And another
1: fun thing, too, is you get recommendations sometimes from other readers because books trigger memories of other books or a book somebody has seen that they want to eventually get to
0: yeah that's a really good point yeah and it's just i mean always fun to meet new and interesting people that's one of my favorite parts about it that like to read (laughs) (laughs) yeah well speaking of reading what are you currently reading emily well i'm still i don't know knee deep eyeballs deep in anna kay by leo tolstoy Boy, you know, we talked about this after we were off mic last episode that it's so interesting to take on a big classic and just realize how it affects your reading life. I'm listening to the book mostly. This is a long book. Chris set up a great reading schedule for me, which I've really kept to. And one of the things I've enjoyed about that is what I'm trying to do is read it during the week. So my weekend time can be free to tackle the other books I want to read, or I get kind of crabby. Mm -hmm.
1: I know. Yeah, I get that.
0: Yeah. So it's a big story. I'm still enjoying it. It seems to not end. That's okay. It's like 40 hours long or something. (laughs) Yes. So I'm still working on that one. What about you? Well,
1: I'm currently reading, well, I'm, I'm listening to an audiobook, speaking of audiobooks. I have to thank Libro.fm for the advanced reader copy of this audiobook called Strange Beasts of China by Yan Gi. It's narrated by Emily Wu Zeller. Translator is Jeremy Tiang. And this is a wild book. It's kind of like sci fi fantasy, a little horror. I, um, you know, we get an email from Libro.fm about hot new books coming out, and this one really just caught my eye, and it's also Women in Translation Month, which is a big thing in August. For those of you who are on social media, the hashtag for that WIT Month WITMonth2021. So check out that hashtag, and you'll find a lot of great recommendations and people talking about books. But this one, it's just really gritty. Kind of like sci-fi noir. I don't know if that's a thing, but that's how it sounds to me. She's an amateur cryptozoologist. Ooh, I've never heard that term. Yeah, and a novelist slash writer, successful novelist, you should say. And it's in a fictional town in China. And she is assigned to investigate these different beasts that are in the city. Each chapter almost feels a little bit like a short story as I'm listening to it, but there is a through thread and there is a bit of a mystery and I have like maybe 45 minutes left and I can't wait to get back to it to hear how some things may or may not come together.
0: Wow, I'm surprised you didn't postpone today and be like, I just need to sit in the parking lot for 45 minutes. I'll be up soon. <laughs> but something to look forward to. That's cool. Yeah,
1: totally. I'll probably uh take a long drive on the way home and uh and give, you know, finish the
0: rest of it. So again, that strange beasts of China by Yan Gi. And reminder that we're an affiliate of libro.fm, which means if you use Book Cougars, when you sign up for Libro.fm, you get two books for the price of one. That's two audiobooks, I should say, for the price of one. Yeah.
1: And again, they do support independent bookstores. Part of the proceeds go to independent bookstores. And independent bookstores can connect to Libro.fm on their websites and things like that. And it just has a really nice interface, too, on the app, I have to say.
0: Yeah, I enjoy using it as well. Well, I'm also reading Home by Marilyn Robinson. This is the second book in what's referred to as the Gilead. Remind me, Tetralogy. Go, Emily. I remembered the word. I wrote it down. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not loving these books. I'm really not. But I kind of understand why people do. I think part of it is I grew up in a small town. So it's a very small town. It's an exploration of... These ministers and preachers and their families in Gilead, Iowa. And a lot of ruminations by the ministers on their lives and the people who live in the town. Her writing, as I've said, is beautiful, but the story's not that interesting to me. Now, Home is a little bit more interesting to me than Gilead. Home deals with the characters that Gilead talked about, which is one of the things I do want to say about it. So, the series is. Gilead, which was published in 2004, and then Home, which I'm reading now 2008, then Lila in 2014, and then Jack just came out in 2020. And so I wonder what it was like differently to read Gilead when you didn't know the other books that were coming out, whereas I'm reading them. And when a character is mentioned, I'm like, Oh, Lila, Lila's there's a whole book with her name as the title and Jack there's a whole book. So it does kind of pique my curiosity, I have to admit, as I'm listening, like, I wonder what that book's going to be about. I don't know if I wonder enough to (laughs) to pursue the other two, because I'm finding them. I mean, I hate to use this word, but just not very interesting. Mm -hmm. People are probably like, well, why don't you put it down? I'm reading it for my book club. And we meet this weekend. One of my fellow book clubbers, Gilead is one of her favorite books of all time. Wow. So I'm dying to talk to them. Like, I really think it's a question of, obviously, does the story interest you? But reading preference, like it really occurs to me that plot is my thing, Mm -hmm. you know? So these books are not plot driven. They are simply character studies. Mm -hmm. There's not even really that much character development to me. It's just a study. Interesting. Yeah. So why are they... Praised so much? Is it the language? I think it's probably her turns of phrase in her writing, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I started to listen to an interview with Marilyn Robinson. Part of it is, I think, if you understand the Bible and understand Bible study, I think there's probably a lot of references that are going over my head. That's one of my guesses. So I think if you're a spiritual in nature, these probably have more meaning to you than they do to me. Okay. So mm-hmm.
1: let me just ask you, do you, by spiritual, do you mean like spiritual or do you
0: mean biblical? Biblical. Okay. I think if you understand biblical stories and have maybe even a religious past where you understand a minister's life and what's important. I mean, the church is very important in these books. Mm -hmm. And the minister's desire to have their children attend church is very important. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I know some writers can have a lot of biblical allusions Mm -hmm. in their novels, but if you don't know the Bible stories, you're still okay as a reader. Mm -hmm. This sounds like it's a little bit more geared toward people who have that biblical background.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, that's one of the things I want to ask my Mm co-readers. And I also think one of the differences between Gilead and home is that home has a lot more dialogue, whereas Gilead was really a minister. He, He was talking in air quotes to his son and reflecting on his life. This one is more families having dialogue together. I am enjoying that aspect of it better. But like I'm not thrilled to dig back in. Yeah. So <laughs> well, I look forward to
1: hearing what your book club has to say about it. I will probably never pick them up.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm kind of glad to have read half of them, but well, I'm not done with home. I have three hours left in the audio. Anyway, that's Home by Marilyn
1: <laughs> Robinson. That's great. Well, the other book I'm currently reading is a graphic memoir slash graphic novel. And I always get confused about that because it's graphic nonfiction, but people still call them graphic novels, even if it's nonfiction. The title is called Wake, The Hidden History of Women-Led Slave Revolts by Rebecca Hall. She's a professor who did her dissertation on woman-led slave revolts in America. This graphic novel is her research experience trying to find the women who led revolts because back then, women weren't deemed capable of leading anything. Women were just not deemed capable. So in court cases, they were often not named. It was the woman or the wench, you know? Mm-hmm. So she's trying to track down these these women and these names, and she ends up going to London to do research. And I will talk more about this when I'm finished. I'm at, like, about the 70% mark. I got a e uh, not an e-reader, what do you call it, an iPad, so, that's been making graphic novels a little bit more digitally enticing for me. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. they just don't really work well on my e reader. Yeah. My phone's too small, and I get sick of looking at my laptop screen. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so more to come on that. But again, the title is Wake the Hidden History of Woman Led Slave Revolts by Rebecca Hall, and it's illustrated by Hugo Martinez.
0: I think it's so fascinating what people choose to write their dissertations on. You mm-hmm. know, it's amazing. I had a friend who wrote her dissertation. I don't know what it's called, but it was like that gold foil that's on the edge of old books. Mm-hmm. What is that? I can't remember what that's called. But, you know, like, cool. She got to spend years <laughs> studying that. <That's
1: laughs> awesome. Isn't it? I don't know what, if, it, if it has a special name on a
0: book. I mean, it's gold leaf, I think, but it's whatever that edge is. It's gilding. It's gilding. gilding. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that just was came her dis- me. A dissertation. Oh, that is so
1: cool. That's yeah. a dissertation I'd actually like to read.
0: Well, I'll see if I can dig it up. I have no <laughs> idea. I'm reading a memoir as well. It's called Lady Parts by Deborah Kopakin. She's pretty well known for writing a book called Shutter Babe. That was mm-hmm. about her time as a photo journalist in a war in Afghanistan. And she went off as a 22 year old. And as she says, came back four years later, as a grown woman and what it was like to be a woman in the Middle East trying to take photos. I have not read that one. But Lady Parts starts off with a bang. I mean, it's like she's on the bathroom floor, basically bleeding to death because she has had surgery on her cervix, and the healing is not going well. So it really grabs your attention to start. She covers a lot of material here. She covers the devolution of her marriage and becoming a single mother, having breast cancer and having to deal with periods of not having health insurance and what it means in this country to not have health insurance Ironically, she got a job as an editor at a health magazine that ended up firing her when she was going through her breast cancer treatment because she was missing too much work. little irony there. She's a very good writer. The book is pretty intense. And as I said, it's surprising me because I thought it was more an exploration because it's called Lady Parts of just her body and some illness, but she really is taking on things like healthcare and daycare in the United States. I'm oh. enjoying it. And this just came out. So you might be seeing it. it has a very recognizable cover. I'm reading it as an ebook. And speaking of iPad, I realize I've been reading it on my Kindle and she was and is a photographer. There are photos in it, which on your Kindle are not very good. So I'm looking forward to picking up a real copy of the book and seeing the photos. in very it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Lady Parts by Deborah Kopakin. What did you just read, Chris? Well, I'm excited to say I finished Bleak House by Charles Dickens. I feel like we should have a huge like cymbals and drums. (laughs) Way to go. This is Chris's big read for the summer.
1: Yes, it was a big read, 800 and something pages. I started out really smoking on it. And then I had to put it down because of a project. And I also wanted to read some other books, because like you were just saying, like reading just one can make you kind of cranky. It makes you feel like you're under pressure, and that's usually not an enjoyable reading experience. So I loved it. I read most of it in the paperback form, and then I also picked up an audio version because I had to do some driving, and I really recommend one that is by Simon Vance as the narrator. He was fantastic. And I probably started that when I was about page 600 or so. So the character names were firmly in my mind. I know who who was who and all that. And so it was a great experience because I knew the characters. And then he did such a fantastic job with all the different voices and the different regional accents and things like that. And the women did not sound like tiny tots male narrators i've had that experience where they try to do women's voices and they sound like tiny tots and women doing men's voices sometimes they all sound like gorillas or something wow (laughs) that was a huge generalization anyway the point is that i'm praising this narrator yeah it was a great experience i'm so glad i read it you know it's one of those novels that when you start thinking about it you start remembering more and more about these details and how things are connected. I also started watching the BBC adaptation starring Gillian Anderson. It's pretty dark and moist. Mm. And, like, I mean, like, that's (laughs) the only way I can say it. I mean, in the book, things are, you know, foggy and dreary and drippy, especially the first part. It's part of the, a little bit of the plot,
0: I guess. But the adaptation really captures the mood So when people say something's very Dickensian, is that dark or is it... I always think of it as being a complex story. Yeah, it is complex, I think. uh,
1: But Dickensian in that there's such disparity between the classes. And there's one character, he's a boy who's been orphaned. He never knew his parents, doesn't remember them. And he's basically survived alone on the streets. And it's just... Dickens compares him to having the understanding of a dog Mm. and not in a cruel way. He's compassionately describing this, but the boy, he doesn't know how to read. He doesn't know anything really. He's very observant, Mm. you know, so he observes people and he knows what he knows, but he doesn't know any like social conventions for the most part. He doesn't know how to read. He doesn't understand a lot. So he basically kind of lives like a dog, mm. a dog in 19th century London, not an American dog who has three beds and right. three meals. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I mean, there are a lot of orphans in Dickens
0: and people treated cruelly. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. When I was reading The Goldfinch by Donna Tart. People kept saying, you know, reviews kept saying it's very Dickensian in nature. And I was like, well, I've never read Dickens, so I Mm -hmm. don't really know what that means. But (laughs) I thought it was a complex story. But I see what you're saying. Now that makes a lot more sense.
1: Well, I think complex, too. Complex Mm -hmm. and, you know, dark and dingy. And even the upper classes don't necessarily come off all that well Mm -hmm. or don't have the best of lives. They have their own struggles as well. I'm not all that well-versed in Dickens, so it could mean a lot of different things when people say something is Dickensian. Mm-hmm. But as much as this book wore me out in a good way, I do plan on reading more Dickens in the future because I enjoyed it. I just need to take it a little bit slower maybe in the future, but not too slow that I don't get hooked,
0: Right, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, this has been a good exercise, like I said, for me in trying to figure out how to tackle a big book and not feel like you have to read it from page one to the end, that you can take it in chunks. And it's interesting, because historically, that's how Bleak House was doled out, Mm -hmm. right? So you are experiencing it the way the author intended, you know, which I think is interesting. They didn't intend for you to sit down and read it cover to cover.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I want to learn more about Dickens and his writing, because I mean, that was the convention to have things serialized. And for the longest time, I've talked about Cather's stuff being serialized in the early 20th century. I don't think that happens at all anymore.
0: No, I think it's more common that people write a short story or an essay. And then folks say, oh, you should write a book length feature of that or something Mm -hmm. like that. Right. And then people will do that and sometimes it works and sometimes it's like yeah yeah the article was fine <laughs> you, know? you know right yeah I've heard a lot of
1: people talk about nonfiction with that that like yeah the first chapter is pretty much all you need <laughs> right
0: exactly but I mean I think even with something like Brokeback Mountain like that was a stellar short story I don't think it needed to be anything else right so I think it depends but I can't think of something being serialized I can definitely think of people who did write a novel and say, this started off as an essay in Vanity Fair or Mm -hmm. something, and then I took it and made the book. They were practicing. So this, I don't know how Dickens wrote it,
1: if he did just write monthly as the installments were coming out, or how he envisioned the story. Did he have the whole story in his mind and then he wrote it? Or I can't imagine he didn't have things in his mind because there are so many different threads and so many characters who kind of come and go and then they come back again when you've forgotten about them. But you're like, oh, that, that one again, okay. I can't imagine what the writing process was like back then. It came out in book form in 1853. I mean, typewriters weren't even a right, thing. Right, no, he was writing by hand. By hand, yeah. yeah and yeah. then the typesetters were typesetting things, you know, letter by letter.
0: Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's part of the reason, right? It was going to just take too long for them to have him write the whole thing and typeset the whole thing. So we're going to put it out in pieces that, yeah. we probably just figured out the answer. I think he got paid by the word ah (laughs) so
1: um you know there's that aspect of the the writing too yeah writers used to get paid so Mm -hmm. much more yeah popular writers i don't mean to say every writer but
0: anyway that was bleak house by charles dickens i highly recommend it that's awesome well i read the push by ashley audrain what i'm discovering in order for my brain to work with reading anna karenina throughout the week and then putting another book in there that's not non fiction. I can read non fiction fine when I'm reading fiction, but this is an experiment in reading other works of fiction, which I don't usually do. It has to be very plot driven, or I just can't. It's like way too many characters in my head. Well, the push is plot driven. This book is such a page turner. And I remember flagging this book when it first came out. I read a review in the Times book review. And then promptly forgot about it, put it in my want to read section of Goodreads. And then Aunt Ellen read it. And lo and behold, she was like, you have got to read this book. And I know why, because when you read it, you want to talk about it. So she needed to get some people to read it so she could talk about it. So the book is about Blythe, who's a new mother. She's had this baby. She's been sold that bill of goods that were sold. Like this is supposed to be the best time in your life. And it's not going well. She's not bonding well with her daughter. And her daughter is starting to show some behaviors that are a little concerning to her. And it's making it a difficult relationship. At the same time, her husband Fox is not seeing anything that Blythe is seeing. He doesn't support her when she asks him about it and questions the Situations that she's experiencing, which makes her feel kind of crazy. At the same time, there are chapters, very short chapters interspersed that go back in time and introduce you to Blythe's mother and grandmother mm. who both were not treated well as young children. So what the author is exploring here is intergenerational trauma, mm. which – we've talked a lot about lately more in the world of slavery and how generational trauma is passed on. But this is really dealing with that direct notion of intergenerational trauma, like in the womb, that it can really be passed on to future generations. So then Blythe has a second child, a son that is born, and she experiences the polar opposite with him. They bond well, their relationship is going well. And then a very tragic event occurs, which I am not going to spoil. Oh, God, she has a (laughs) smile on her face. (laughs) as She says that it is so good. So what the book explores is really the theme of nurture versus nature, intergenerational trauma, motherhood, also marriage and what happens when your partner and you are having different experiences with your children. The other character, she does a really good job of having a few tiny little characters in here that make the story just elevate to a whole other level. And one of them is another mother that was available to a child when her own mother wasn't. You know how you can have the chosen family versus your family of origin? Mm -hmm. She puts a character in there that's done so well. And then also her mother-in-law who was the stay-at-home mother, raised her son in the perfect family. So that's kind of where Fox, the husband's character, is coming from. Like, come on, Blythe, just be the perfect mom. Oh, boy. You know? Yeah. So it's a really good story. She's a debut novelist. I am just so impressed by this book. Highly recommend you read it. It's called The Push by Ashley Audrain. It's kind of being compared to if if folks have read We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver. Mm -hmm. There is some similarity to that. The other thing that she does and why I think they compare these two books is it's written in second person with Blythe kind of talking to her husband and telling a story to her husband. Such an interesting interesting way to do it. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it was really good. The Push, Ashley Audrain. Nice. I'm going to ask you for the spoilers off, Mike. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, the other book I finished is Oh Beautiful. That's a new one by Zhang Yun. Oh my God. So good. I absolutely love this novel. It went in, in directions I didn't anticipate so many times. We're going to talk about this more. We're really excited to have Zhang on in the future.
0: Yeah. And the book comes out November 9th pre-order it, tell your library to get 50 copies.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, order it, order it, order it. I'm going to be definitely, well, I shouldn't say giving this as holiday gifts because now everybody knows, but um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's just spoiler. really good. And it's one of those books you can't really talk about it because you don't want to spoil it because,
0: wow. Yeah, I mean, I think what we can say about it is it's about a young woman who? Well, cha- she's not even young. No, that's true. About no. a woman who's actually in her, well, she's a young woman compared to us, but <laughs> she's in her early 40s. But in her late 30s, she explored a career change. She had been a model, making her living off of her looks, decides to become a writer, goes to school. She goes to college. She goes to grad
1: school. Yeah. She has a mentor. And, and she's Korean American, born and raised in North Dakota. And she has an assignment to go back to North Dakota to write about what's going on with the oil fields. We talked about in the last episode, Emily had already finished Oh Beautiful, and I was currently reading it, and just talking about that it's primarily men flocking here to find work because it's during an economic downturn. And there are women who also are there looking for work. But the Oh Beautiful, it's this town that is the center of the book. It's kind of like a microcosm of America itself. So the old beautiful part there, but then the main character is this beautiful woman and you see just how relentlessly women are tormented by men
0: sexually and harassed by them. Yeah, and the book has such a shocking opening scene that really, I didn't know the direction the book was going to take. And I think that's part of what she does so well, is that you just, you really have to read the story and watch it unfold. Mm-hmm. And she tackles big issues and she does it so seamlessly. Yeah, I mean, climate change, the Me Too movement, economic hardship, America. <laughs> <laughs> You know, racism and gender, gender, and gender classism, the, big business. Yeah, you know, environmental destruction.
1: Yeah, Native American rights and responsibilities, law enforcement bar culture yeah. i mean there's so <laughs> it much it's amazing but none, none of it felt forced to me at all Mm-mm. it's just so well written yeah. we know this novel's not coming out until november in the meantime we both loved her first novel shelter which is another really kind of like explosive novel yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. in a good way yep in a painful way but
0: really good read very thought-provoking I was telling Chris that there's a book, Nomadland, that's nonfiction. And there's a section of Oh Beautiful that reminds me of Nomadland. I did not read the book. I watched the film, which won all manner of awards last year. But that's another book you could check out in the interim, too. Mm -hmm. I
1: mean, I'm just thinking about all the military involved. There's male privilege and also male opportunism of different class men
0: i mean it's just i mean and also women who don't listen to each other and coming to terms with that kind of figuring out your place in society yeah i mean she does
1: such a good yeah thing. yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously we're both just like glowing about this novel mm-hmm. oh beautiful so put it on your tbr
0: we have to get ourselves together before we talk to her i know we're gonna be like <laughs> just like fangirling yes that's right that's right well, I finished Gilead, which I already have talked about a little bit. This was the first in the Tetralogy by Marilyn Robinson. It's the story of a father on his deathbed talking to his son and reminiscing about his father and his father's father, who were all congregationalist ministers in Gilead, Iowa. And that's really all I'm going to say about it. It was the story of John Ames. I didn't love it, but it won the Pulitzer Prize. One of my book club members loved it, so I can't wait to talk to her about it. One of my other book club members was doing the green monster face as she was trying to read it. So she felt very similar to me, but should be a good conversation. You know what? The, the Pulitzer
1: Prize, know, um, yeah, I watched that Hemingway series, what do they call it now, series, documentary And The Old Man and the Sea is the book that capstone Hemingway's career. And some people consider it, you know, his best work and a great novel. And others just think it's childish, juvenile, a boring book where not much happens. So I just think it's really fascinating how, and we've talked about this before, just how you can have such different takes on a book from your friends. Absolutely. And, And even friends that you've had, like, great recommendations from.
0: There's always that one where it's just like, really? Well, yeah. And it's also why recommending books to people is so hard. It's like, well, first, tell me what you do like. Because when certain people hate on a book that you just love, it it gives you all sorts of pause about them. (laughs) It also makes you think like, I don't know if I'm the person that should be recommending books to you. And it's why shelf talkers at bookstores are so helpful. And finding a bookseller that you know you have similar taste is helpful, But even then, like you said, you can still come across a book that everyone disagrees on. Right, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, but, you know, and I think so much of that is, again, when you read it, Mm -hmm. why you picked it up, what's going on in your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've just been having such a great reading month. I mean, wow. The next book I'm going to talk about is A Solitude of Wolverines by Alice Henderson. Holy smokes, I love this novel. It was blurbed by Nevada Barr, who's the mystery novelist who got me into reading mysteries as an adult. I had been a Hardy Boys fan as a younger person, but never really found another mystery. And then I just kind of quit looking for them and I got into horror. I think that's what happened. I think Stephen King walked into my life, and that was a whole decade of reading (laughs) right there. But the publisher sent us a copy. And I saw it here at Book Cougar's headquarters, and I was like, oh, my God, Nevada Bar, I have to read that. So um, <laughs> The Solitude of Wolverines, it's, it's not Alice Henderson's first novel, but it is the first novel in this new series featuring field biologist Alex Carter, who's a woman who has a Ph.D. in biology. She specializes in wildlife, like eco-rehabilitation. She does a lot of field work where she's looking and tracking and recording data on endangered species that she may be studying. The novel opens up. She's in Boston. She's really not happy living in the city. Her relationship is kind of spinning down the toilet. Um, (laughs) And she is at a celebration of this park opening that was reclaimed from development because they found a rare species on it and a gunman comes and, you know, disgruntled business person, right, developer. Long story short, Boston is not for her. She just realizes the relationship's not going anywhere. And then her old professor calls with an opportunity to go to Montana to do a study on wolverines on this protected land. There's a word for it that I'm not getting right now. She stays at this place that's an old abandoned ski resort where all these horrible things have happened since it's been abandoned right
0: that sounds very Stephen King right there right
1: (laughs) totally right and even in the book they're like don't read The Shining before you go (laughs) yeah totally but it's a beautifully written book like if you love the great outdoors if you like to hike if you like wild animals if you're into protecting our environment and natural habitats you would really enjoy this book It is, you know, suspense, thriller, mystery, all of those three things rolled up into one. And nature writing, because she describes the beauty of being outdoors and the joy of hiking to set these camera traps. But then, of course, there are bad guys. You'll have to read the book to find out more. One of our listeners, Sue, also read it around the same time that I did, and uh, she posted a review on Instagram and she wrote, What an incredible book. I love Alex Carter. She is strong, intelligent, resourceful, principled, kind hearted, kick ass, animal loving biologist. Montana Mountains, Abandoned Resort, Ghosts, Question mark, Sasquatch, Question mark. Wolverine's Land Preserve Resentment, Poaching, Murder, it's all there. So much suspense. I can't wait for the next book. And she gave it five stars. That is Sue Lisbeth is her handle if you want to connect with her on instagram
0: that's a great review
1: totally great yeah i can't wait for the next book which we have an advanced reader copy of i'm going to save it for a couple weeks (laughs) before i dive in but i haven't been this excited about finding a new mystery series since i first started reading louise penny i'm so excited good for you yeah so super excited so again that's the solitude of wolverines By Alice Henderson. And she does have other novels. She has at least one other novel, I know, that is not part of the series. So check her out. Check out her website and the work she does because she's actually a field biologist. So she knows what she's writing about. Yeah, I'm sure that made the book elevate that much higher, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's why I love Nevada Bar because she was an actual park ranger writing about a park ranger and being in the great outdoors. So I don't think you can fake that. No,
0: I've never read her. She's always been on my list. I should do that. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I read We Are the Brennans. I got really sick last week. We were
1: worried about our Emily.
0: Yeah, I got a negative COVID test. Thank gracious. And thank goodness for our state. I have to say, super easy to go in and drive through COVID test. No appointment needed knew the next day that it wasn't COVID. So that was a relief. But I was sick and sat in a cold induced state on the couch and treated myself to reading a new book. So I read We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. This book just came out from Celadon. It's about a big Irish Catholic family in the Boston area. It's told from the point of view of, well, I should say multiple points of view, mostly these four siblings. There's a couple other points of view thrown in there. But one of the things she did, I've never seen before, which is so it'd be told by one character's point of view, and there'd be dialogue at the very end of the chapter. And then when you've turned the page to the next character chapter, it would start again with the last piece of dialogue that that character said the chapter before. Oh, cool. I had never seen that writing technique and I really liked it. I thought it was super cool. Again, this is a big Irish family, three brothers and one sister whose name is Sunday. The opening scene is that Sunday has been in an accident and she's been living out in California for five years. And her big brother goes off to California to see what's happened, and she ends up moving home. Then it's just a book about family, family secrets, shame, guilt, all the good stuff. It does focus around an Irish pub, which I appreciated the older brother owns an Irish pub, the pressures of birth order and expectations of family. And a little bit of romance, not in like a romance novel kind of way, but you know, characters who've had past involvements with each other and future involvements. There was a quote in it that I really liked that I read to the gentleman caller who's Irish that said, shame and guilt are like plagues, and we Irish wield them like weapons and wear them like medals. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought, Really summed up the book well. She's out on book tour now, and I'm really hoping to catch a conversation with her. Again, the title of the book is We Are the Brennans by Tracy Ling.
1: Nice. Well, I'm so glad you recovered and it wasn't COVID.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: All right. So the last book I read is Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. And I had to look at the title and make sure I said Razorblade Tears, and not Crocodile Tears, <laughs> because that is what I've been saying. Even after I read it, I went to look up something, and I wrote in cro- you know, Crocodile. I was like, no, it's Razorblade Tears. There's a reason why it's Razorblade Tears, too. It's in the damn book, you know? I love this book. I loved his prior novel, Blacktop Wasteland. And this book, whew, I mean, it is violent as all get out. I mean, bloody and violent and cruel. Mm. But there's just something about the way he writes that makes it seem natural, you know, natural in air quotes. And it's certainly natural to the world that he creates in this novel. It's about two dads who are not friends. One is a black man. One is a white man. They each had a son and the sons were married to each other. And neither man accepted their son. And the sons are murdered. Mm. And they eventually team up to find out what's going on, what happened, because they don't feel like the police and the investigators are making any headway. To complicate the matter, they're both ex-cons. That both complicates the matter and also explains the nature of the violence. I don't want to say too much about this, but let me read some sections if you don't mind. All right, so one of the things about the book, I mean, everyone is swimming in toxic masculinity everyone is kind of crushed by the weight of the social constructions of gender and race and class. It's just, it's not a happy world that these folks inhabit, but it seems really real. So this is a section here. The character is talking. It's Ike. Ike is the African-American guy in the book, and he's kind of like the main character. So he says here, that was the thing about violence. When you went looking for it, you definitely were going to find it. It just wouldn't be at a time of your own choosing. It jumped up and splattered your nice boots before you were really ready. The thing is, if you chase it long enough, you realize you're never really ready for it. Shit happens, and you either roll with it or you don't. Eventually, you got used to it. When he was a kid, he liked to think, That made you hard. After a few years inside, he figured out that was bullshit. Human beings were wired to get used to just about anything. That didn't make you hard. It made you indoctrinated. Mm. That was pretty poignant. And these are guys, they're of a certain generation, they're of a certain location in the world. This is set in Virginia, and they're struggling with their sons. They've always struggled with their sons' sexuality, it's a revenge novel, but it's also these men trying to come to terms with their sons and their love for their sons and accept their sons wholly. But this is a scene from Ike when it's his son's college graduation party supposed to be a great night, right? This is when Derek comes out to his dad in the scene. Ike is doing, uh, he's grilling burgers and hot dogs. Okay. So this is, um, Ike is concentrating on the burgers and hot dogs. He focuses on the red glow of the coals, the unhurried dripping of the grease from the burgers as it falls and sizzles on the charcoal, anything to keep his mind off what his son is saying. When he says it, Ike watches as he responds the only way he knows how to respond. No, that's not really true. He responds in the way that's easiest for him. He flips the grill. Coals fly everywhere like fiery confetti. A piece lands on Isaiah's arm. It will leave a light scar that resembles a birthmark. The scene fades to black, and Isaiah is his son. I really love the line that like, he responds in a way that's easiest for him. So those two sections that I just read really resonated with me about how a violent culture just isn't something that is, and violent people aren't just violent The social conditions create that, and their habits create that. And people often do what's easiest, even though it's harming themselves and the people that they love. That's just a little bit of the grittiness, I think, because I don't want to read some of the other parts on air because, like I said, it's gruesome and bloody. It's murder, Mm. and it's a lot of language. So if those are not the kind of books you enjoy, this is not the book for you. But if you really want a novel that is just gritty. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is Southern noir with a lot of heart, though. And I really commend Cosby for writing a novel about love is love. And these, you know, cisgendered homophobic older guys trying to come to terms with their sons. Yeah, sadly, after they're gone. Right? Exactly. Isn't that always the case? Or so often the case? Mm -hmm. You know, you think you have time to sort things out you think you have time for somebody else to come around, and quite often you don't. Right. And another quote is about the whole revenge thing. He says, folks like to talk about revenge like it's a righteous thing, but it's just hate in a nicer suit.
0: No, oh, that's you know? a good
1: one. Yeah, so tough book. His last book, Blacktop Wasteland, had a pretty grim ending, and this one wasn't quite that quite bloody. (laughs) I mean, mean, we're talking extreme, like we're talking so extreme. And I keep saying that because I I don't really read a lot of violent books anymore. But there's just something about his writing that it makes me believe it and
0: want to understand why people are like they are. Well, and from what you've said about Blacktop Wasteland also is I mean, he's just a really good writer. So the story is part of what makes it yeah. Worth the the blood. Yeah, right? totally.
1: I mean, and it is. It's a book um that is certainly coming out at a great time with race issues and racism and white supremacy. It's just a book that touches on so many things in the world right now. Yeah. So again,
0: that's Razorblade Tears by S. A. Cosby. Well, I got my hands on an advanced reader copy of William Kent Kruger's newest book, Lightning Strike. Beautiful. This book is out August 24th, and it was so good. I finished it this morning. I sobbed. <laughs> oh. So I've read his book, This Tender Land which I loved. It was one of my top 10, I think a couple of years ago. Yeah. Didn't we read that as a buddy read? I don't think so. Did we? I thought so. I don't remember. Huh. And then I've read his book, Ordinary Grace, which won an Anthony award in 2014, but he's very well known for his Cork O'Connor mystery series, which is 18 books strong. Wow. I mean, that's been going a long time. Yeah. And the first book, book in that series, Iron Lake came out in 1999, and won an Anthony Award for Best First Novel. Yeah, and
1: that's set in Minnesota, right? Yeah,
0: it is. And um, he lives, the author lives in Minnesota. So he knows the boundary waters and lakes and you know, just the territory itself. But part of why I was willing to read this because longtime listeners know I'm not very good about starting something towards the end of a series or mid series, I want to go to the beginning. But when a series is 18 books long, it's kind of daunting. But this is actually a prequel. On some things, I've seen it listed as book number zero in the (laughs) Cork O'Connor mystery series. It takes place in a small town in Aurora, Minnesota. The book opens with an author's note that just lets the reader know that a significant part of the story involves the Indian Relocation Act of 1956. And what William Kent Kruger says is this was the brainchild of a group of men appointed by President Harry S. Truman to solve what lawmakers in DC called the quote, Indian problem. And what it did was uproot by offering Native Americans relocation to an urban setting saying, we'll give you a job and help you get started, but it didn't go well, for some obvious reasons, partly losing your connection to the land, but also your connection to your people. So a lot of times people tried to make their way back to where they had originally been, but then the land was no longer available to them. Also, one of the other things they did was the Native American boarding schools, where they tried to take children from their homes and mainstream them, whatever that meant. So both of those are really big topics in this book. The book takes place in the early 60s. It's really good. And then there's also a thread where Cork O'Connor, who becomes the sheriff in this, I think the Cork O'Connor mystery series is Cork O'Connor as the sheriff in this small town. But the prologue to this book, Lightning Strike, is him on his first day as sheriff and he sits down in his chair or in the town, thinking about his father, Liam O'Connor, who was the sheriff. And that's how then we this story takes off. And so my guess I've not read any of the others is that they refer to his father, Liam O'Connor, who was the sheriff in the town. But this really explains who his father was at a time when he was trying to solve a mystery. And Cork, his son, gets involved in the mystery as well. It's very plot-driven, really good, wonderful characters, which is what William Kent Krueger does so well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I loved it. What they're trying to solve is a suicide. Was it a suicide or was it a murder? The opening scenes are where Cork O'Connor, who's a child, is with his friends. And they come across a man hanging in a tree. Mm. The rest of the book deals with them trying to solve the mystery of what happened to the man. Again, it's called Lightning Strike by William Kent Kruger. The book is out on August 24th. Lots of other William Kent Kruger books to read in the interim, but I would definitely put this one on request. And a great way to be introduced to the series without feeling like, uh oh, there's 18 books. What do I do now?
1: Right, exactly. And you get the writer at the height of his powers. Right, you know? It, yep, that's yeah. true.
0: I mean, I also think just from reading now three of his books, I have no doubt that you could pick up the book anywhere in the series and he would spin a good yarn. Mm-hmm. So I probably will try that. And I cried like a baby at the end. I needed a good cry. It was perfect. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Well, speaking of crying, I also did
1: cry during razor blade tears. I mean, there were twice when I got, you know, some
0: tears coming. Mm. They weren't razor blade tears, but they were tears. <laughs> <laughs> I um, don't know if I want to know what a razor blade tear is. Ooh, Sounds kind of violent.
1: Well, that's not. It is violently emotional for people who are not experienced at dealing with their emotions. Oh. You know, like it's, Yeah. Okay, because it hearkens some other imagery. No, it's nothing bad like that, sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's like painful tears because of pain. Okay. And not acknowledging pain for a very long time and things like that. Okay, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. William Kent Kruger is one that's recommended. When I was looking at Alice Henderson stuff, who wrote The Solitude of Wolverines, his name came up as a recommended author if you liked her stuff and vice versa.
0: That makes sense because it really does take place, you know, in the outdoors, in the boundary waters in Minnesota, you know, there's so many lakes in Minnesota and he definitely nods to nature and to Native American culture. That makes sense. So did you go on any Biblio adventures, Chris? You know what I
1: did? I went on a couple. I went on two that were not in the world but in my home and then one out in the big wide world. I got to see our buddy mystery man, John Valeri in conversation with Emily Arsenault up at the wood Memorial library in South Windsor, Connecticut. And this was an event um, hosted by book club on the go. Our buddy Cindy uh, got this one together. The conversation was mainly about Emily's new book. When all the girls are sleeping. Emily's written I don't know, she has something like maybe eight or nine books. She writes adult suspense novels and YA. And this is a YA novel. She wanted to write one that would be just a really good fall escape novel. She didn't want to write anything that would be like really a big, deep psychological dive. Because she said for her, her writing has been a great escape during the pandemic. And she wanted readers to have a good escape just to to a good story. So it's suspense, involves a ghost. And what I really enjoyed was that she said the inspiration for the story revolves around a haunted dormitory on this boarding school for girls. But the inspiration for Emily was Mount Holyoke's campus where she went to college. And in particular, uh, Wilder Hall which is one of the historic buildings up there. When she was a student, the mythology was that there was a locked room up on the fourth floor that was like so haunted and terrible that they've just always kept it locked. And <laughs> so the, creepy. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the thing, like the scuttlebutt was that even the president of the college one time tried to prove that there's nothing wrong and so she spent the night in it and then when she (laughs) left in the morning said lock the door never open it (laughs) so
0: (laughs) that's hilarious yeah
1: isn't that yeah so i'm looking forward to reading it i started it and i was enjoying it a lot the main character's roommate is a history buff and so she's looking in the archives at stuff so that was kind of fun for me as a history buff myself so again, that is When All the Girls Are Sleeping. That's Emily Arsenault's new book that is out now in hardcover and destined to be a good fall Halloween-type book,
0: I think. Yeah. Well, I got to hear Deborah Kopakin in conversation with Elliot Waldman through a bookstore called A Great Good Place for Books, which I'd never heard of, which is in Oakland, California. Debra is the author of Lady Parts, the memoir that I'm reading. And Ayelet Waldman, I don't think I've ever read one of her books. She's kind of infamous for writing this essay. She's married to the author Michael Chabon. Mm. And she wrote an essay that she loves her husband more than her children. And all hell broke loose out in the world. I mean, I hate to just talk about her in that way. But some people might recognize her name from that. But they know each other. And one of the things about Deborah Copaken is like one of her really good friends was Nora Efron. Lots of name dropping in her memoir. So the two of them together were doing a lot of name dropping, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously know each other well and know each other's children and things like that. So it was really like watching a conversation between two friends, two very intelligent women This is video is available. So I'll put a link in the show notes for people to watch it. And also just two really accomplished writers, very good at their craft and talking about why she wrote the book, how she came to write it. I did get a sense that both of them are like being friends with them, you'd have to be at the top of your game. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like, they were really smart. But anyway, it was a good conversation. I'm glad I watched it. Sometimes I don't like to hear an author speak when I'm in the middle of their book. But for me, it actually helped, I feel like, enlighten me to looking for certain things in the story Mm -hmm. that she's trying to tell, Mm -hmm. you know. So again, that was Deborah Kopakin in conversation with Ilya Waldman about her book, Lady Parts.
1: that's a great point about sometimes it
0: is good to, while you're reading a book, check things out about the author. Yeah, I think especially for me, this one has this cover that's so interesting, where it's like a woman standing almost like a superhero type pose. And then there's all these arrows pointing to the body with names of the different body parts. So I just had this idea in my head when I opened it of what it was going to be about. And like I said, she's really taking on bigger issues with it. So it opened my eyes to paying attention to more of that as I'm reading. Nice. Well, my next event was one that I
1: did as a Zoom event, and because it was a Zoom event out of Chicago. And this is Naomi Hirahara in conversation with Eric Matsunaga. And this was an event hosted through Madison Street Books, which is a new bookstore. It's a woman-owned independent bookstore in Chicago on the West Loop. They opened during the pandemic, and they're still going, which is a oh. great thing. And they have an events person there, which is also a good sign. I sometimes feel for independent bookstores when they don't have somebody to run their events because you can tell it's just some poor, tired bookseller, manager, (laughs) owner who's trying to do it all. But this is a fascinating conversation. So again, Naomi Hirahara wrote Clark and Division, which is the mystery novel I talked about in episode 135 that I love so much, that dealt with a young Japanese-American Woman trying to figure out what happened to her sister after the family was relocated from the concentration camp that they were put in by the United States government, and they were relocated to Chicago. So Eric Matsunaga, he's been working on a project. It's called Discover Nikkei, Japanese Migrants and Their Descendants. It's a website, and he does events and he does tours. He's of Japanese descent. His Dad was Japanese and his mom's German. And one of the things that Naomi talked about was that after the war was over, so many of those Japanese people who'd been placed in Chicago went back to California. And Eric's family is a family that stayed. So one of the things with, you know, there's no geographical center in Chicago for the Japanese community, really. So it's kind of spread out in Chicago city limits, and then in the suburbs as well. So he's trying to get all this information together. He said one of the things is they have events that draws the community together. They have temples and churches that are focused on Japanese descendants, but there's no center. And he said one of the reasons for that is that during the war, they were told not to congregate, that if they would congregate, they would be considered to be conspiring against the United States so that's one reason for that. And then also the families going back to California. Now, a lot of people have talked about Clark and Division as this standalone novel, because Naomi does have a series that's set in Hawaii. But she did say during this event that she has a follow-up novel to Clark and Division. It's called Evergreen at this point, And it's set in 1946 at the Evergreen Hostel in California. So, this is a family that goes back. I'm not sure if it's the same family. She didn't really get into the details as far as I remember about that. Um, but I'm so looking forward to that. And I want to check out her other series as well because I really enjoyed her writing style and her perspective.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, Sounds that was like a good event.
1: Yeah, it really was. And, you know, they talked to each other for quite a while because Eric had actually given Naomi a tour of Chicago while she was researching for the book. And then she also had another tour of Chicago. So she was there twice. Prior to that, she had been in Chicago, but it wasn't when she was thinking about writing a novel set there. She's also written nonfiction books. One of them is specifically about what happened with families after
0: they were released from the camps. So we'll put a link in the show notes to her website, so folks can check out all of her different books yeah and this event was
1: recorded and it's available okay so we'll put the link in that too because i thought it was a really fascinating event about the novel but and also though about you know just chicago and the japanese and japanese american experience
0: so she doesn't live in chicago
1: no okay she's a california okay resident so We usually don't talk about podcast listening as a Biblio adventure, but I do want to give a shout out um, and let listeners know about episode 225 of the Reading Envy podcast with our buddy Jenny. She had authors Marie Benedict and Victoria Christopher Murray on as guests, and those are the authors of The Personal Librarian, the historical novel about Belle. DaCosta Green, who is the librarian at the Morgan Library. So, folks, if you really were interested in that novel or if you've read it, definitely check out episode 225 of Reading Envy for that interview.
0: That's awesome. I'll put that link in the show notes. Have you got any plans for upcoming jaunts?
1: You know what? I did have one on the books, but it unfortunately got rescheduled. It was at the Essex Library here in Connecticut. An event with Deborah Mandel, her new book is All Right, How to Start, Structure, and Sustain a Writing Group. We've met Deborah in the past and she's written books. She's a retired psychologist and a writer herself. She's also married to the writer James Benn. So I think she knows what she's talking about when she's talking <laughs> about you know, writing groups. And I was really interested in this to read a book about writing and writing groups from a psychologist. Because I thought she might have some really different takes on sustainability and getting people together in relatable ways. Yeah. So the event is going to be rescheduled at some point. But I wanted to let listeners know about her book. Again, that was All Right, How to Start, Structure
0: and Sustain a Writing Group by Deborah Mandel. And I have on the books, um, Tuesday, the 17th of August, I guess when this episode drops at 7pm. R.J. Julia is hosting Susan Cain, who is the author of Quiet, Mm. The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. I loved that book. And she's in conversation with Lisa Miller about Lisa's new book, The Awakened Brain, The New Science of Spirituality and Our Quest for an Inspired Life. Sounds sounds kind of interesting. So that is going to be a zoom event. I registered for that. I don't think either of the authors are local. So um, but I had never heard of this new book by Lisa Miller. And it sounds so interesting. I love the title. And when I read about it, I thought, well, let me get an introduction from her and see if I want to read it. That sounds good. I'm going to sign up for that one too. Yes, yeah. We also have a joint jump planned. We came to find out that there is a new little free library in our neighborhood. Yes, one of our neighbors
1: pointed this out to us on Instagram. And we're going to go check it out together.
0: Yeah, it was really cute. On Instagram, he showed us this picture of like a tall... Structure covered in a tarp, right? And we had no idea what it was. Well, a pole that was, yeah, that had something covered, yeah, right. (laughs) And so we were like, and he said, "Book Cougars, check it out." And we were like, "Check what out? What is it?" And then came to find out that it was a new little free library installed in our neighborhood. We haven't checked it out. I'm so excited to do that with Chris, and I'm super excited to have one in the neighborhood that I can both drop donations off to and take more books because lord knows i don't have enough right (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah we'll definitely help keep that one stock yes looking forward to that Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what about upcoming reads what's on your nightstand i have a book that i can't remember how i learned about it but it's garnered all sorts of praise and it's called everything sad is untrue and then in parentheses a true story by daniel Nyeri, and he is an immigrant from Iran and this is telling the story of his middle school years and it's a work of fiction but telling a story of his middle school years and what it was like to come to this country and make a way for himself and his family here it has a fantastic cover I've watched a few quick videos with him, some introductory videos, and he seems like such an interesting guy. He's also one of the youngest publishers in the industry mm. as the head of Odd Dot, which is an imprint of Macmillan. Looking forward to digging into that one. And then I also went to the library and picked up a copy of Maggie Smith, who's the poet that I read a poem at the beginning of the episode. And this isn't a book of poetry. It's a book called Keep Moving. And it's notes on loss, creativity, and change. It's the sweet little bright orange book. And I can't wait to dig into it nice
1: that looks cool i like that size yeah yeah and we ran into each other at the library last night actually that was fun we did. it was super fun Damn. out in the wild totally <laughs> <laughs> what about you well i just started this morning over a big piece of carrot cake it was delicious and made me slightly sick um, <laughs> <laughs> i started the seven or eight deaths of stella fortuna by julia crames who's going to be a guest coming up on a future episode So if you haven't yet read this novel and it's been on your nightstand or on your Goodreads TBR, it might be a good time to read it and shoot us any questions you might
0: have that you'd like us to ask Juliet. Yeah, I cannot wait to talk to her. We're going to talk to her both as an author and her as an editor at Soho. Yeah. Super excited. Totally. And then the other one is Louise Penny, The Madness
1: of Crowds, comes out August 24th. I usually take the entire day off. I do have one meeting that day. It's just going to be an hour long. But otherwise, my day is going to be
0: dedicated to reading that novel. I can't wait. Maybe we'll take some pictures. I'll I'll try to, like, (laughs) lurk in a bush on the sidelines and take a picture of Chris having her special day. (laughs) Well, everybody, another episode. We hope you're out there getting lots of reading time. Don't hesitate to email us or... Jump on social media and say hello. We would love to know what you're reading. Absolutely. And we wish you lots of... Happy happy reading. reading. Thanks for
1: listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, come chat with us on social media. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, we would love to have you join our community. All of the books that we talked about in this episode are listed in the show notes which you can find at bookcougars.com. Each book will link to our bookshop.org page where your purchase will help support not only the Book Cougars, but also independent bookstores everywhere. And if you're an audiobook listener, we do have a special offer from Libro.fm. You can find all of this information on our website. Again, that's bookcougars.com.
0: Thanks, everybody.
1: This episode is edited by Pat Keough Sound Design.